Imagine a workstation where your devices seem to disappear, keeping you in a state of flow for hours. Imagine a superior typing experience and a mouse crafted for comfort. Now, add smart illumination, programmable hotkeys, smart software, and connection to up to three devices. Discover MX Master Series, crafted for performance, designed for coders. Find out more on Logitech.com. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Stack Overflow podcast, home team, content team edition. I'm your host, Ben Popper, director of content here at Stack Overflow, joined by my colleagues and comrades in arms, Ryan Donovan and Ira May. How's it going, y'all? Oh, pretty good. Not too bad for a Monday. Not too bad for a Monday. Ira, you brought us a story here. We're not going to name any of the big companies involved, but we will discuss the trend what is this piece about? It's about attrition. We went through, the last two years have been a real, you know, there was the pandemic, that was a lot of layoffs. Then we went through like maybe 18 months of crazy hiring and quiet quitting. And now where are we? Well, according to this article, this is in the Wall Street Journal, talking about how we're sort of seeing kind of the reverse of the great resignation, which one of the first pieces that I wrote for the Stack Overflow blog when I started working here was about how the great resignation was impacting developers in the fall of 2021. And so now here, almost exactly two years later, it sounds like at big white collar employers, people are not quitting. The attrition rates are not sort of as budgeted for. And as a result, employers are having <laughs> to reduce the number of employees in order to make up for the ones that they expected to quit who didn't quit. The old fashioned way. No more Zoomers in their quiet quitting. <laughs> I mean, we, we had so many years of, of tech being this like golden oasis where it was like, Grass is always greener somewhere else. So you stay a couple of years and they jump and then jump. Right. And now, you know, things are coming back to a little bit of reality, I think. Yeah. Snapping back to reality. If you are experiencing sort of a whiplash with the quiet quitting and now the slow, subtle drip of firing or not rehiring, no backfilling, shoot us an email. We can talk about it on the podcast. We could talk about it on the blog. Love to hear from you. Um, all right, let's make a transition. I got a story I think is interesting. I want to share. It's in the world of prompt science, poking the LLM to see what it will do. And so this was a piece of research from AWS that, you know, one of the main things people are asking these Gen AI systems to do is summarize, take a look at all these documents and tell me what it means or read me this quarterly report and give me the best of it. And increasingly, I think that's how people are going to start to get their news or almost like their search functionality. Like they're going to say, what was that movie about again? Or, you know, whatever happened to that actress or what's with this current event and the AI is going to go read a bunch of articles or it has consumed a bunch of text and it's going to summarize it for them. And so what this study found, which was so interesting, is that they called it chain of density. So like chain of thought prompting is something we know gets great, much better results if you ask the AI, hey, like I'm going to ask you a question, but then like show me your thought process as you like work through this and then deliver me the answer. So for chain of density, it would write a summary of the events that has almost no information. And then it would rewrite that at the same level, but it has a little bit more. Mm-hmm. And rewrite that at the same number of words, but it has a little bit more. And just keep going like that, you know, 30, 40, 50 times. And the end result is something that, you know, both empirically and uh, subjectively by the judgment of human readers was far better than the original and the ones, you know, the summaries written by actual people. So I like this field where it's just kind of like poking and prodding, you know, at like a a black hole where it's like, we don't really know 
like what's going to make it better like you know what's what's i don't know it's like a big blank space on the map you know and you you can just kind of explore it's all practice uh no theory yet yeah exactly yeah i think it's interesting i think that a lot of the sort of summary use cases we've seen have been taking like take a book and then summer it down to a chapter and then down to a page and then to a paragraph and this is interesting and it's it's building it back up you know, it, it actually makes me think of sort of in reverse uh, a writing technique that someone uh, suggested I use in grad school, which is when you're sort of writing about a topic that's really complex and unwieldy and you're not really sure like how to get a handle on it. Start by explaining it in just the plainest, most simple terms that you can imagine, you know, as if you were explaining it to like a 10 year old you know, and then sort of build the levels of complexity from there. But if you start with that sort of like fundamental basic, you know, truth, truth is a little Mm. loaded, but you know, that sort of basic narrative, you can kind of have that coherence all the way through. I don't know if it works the same way for an AI. I guess no one really knows. (laughs) You have to come up with a fancy, no one really knows. We only know the results of this is that, oh, it seemed to work here. Why? We'll, we'll find out in the future or maybe we won't. Right. You have to have a SEO friendly uh, name for it. Yeah. Chain of Density is a good name. It sounds like a band. That's right. Like a hardcore band, hardcore metal band. Chain of Density. <laughs> Ryan, what have you brought to the table for us today? We've all heard the, uh, the humane AI pin. The little uh, Star Trek uh, transponder thing. The yeah, yeah. article I, I have is from Ars Technica that was saying this is a pretty bizarre cross between Google Glass and a pager. It's it's not really something that, that they understand is useful. They don't do apps. Yeah. And that's basically been make or break for a lot of people. I, I got to say, Google Glass and a pager. Yeah. <laughs> not a great comment. Yeah. Two technologies that haven't really been at their height of popularity recently. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I sympathize with their mission, yeah. less screens. It seems cool. Mm-hmm, I like that mm-hmm. it's not always listening. That's great. But I think in, in our company chat, somebody pointed out that it, this is going to be stolen a lot. It's just on your shirt by a magnet. It's going to be easy to snatch. Right. Yeah. I mean, I'm going to lose it immediately. I mean, forget about stealing it. I guess the thing here is I sympathize with the mission of like less mm-hmm. screen time. And I'm sort of going through this with my kids, reading a lot of science about how bad screen time and social media has been for like the teenagers who came five, 10 years yeah. before. And so we got them a flip phone, which is like, you get to start to have some of the functionality. I can, you can go to the park. I can connect to you. Your friends can text you, you know, yada, yada, yada. But when I was reading this, I was just thinking like, I can do all of this same stuff with my smartwatch. Mm-hmm. Like I wear it on my wrist and I can talk to it and I can take calls. And I'm sure if I needed to do the other things, you know, translate, why do I need it? Yeah, exactly. It's like, they're, they're like talking about like somehow they've reinvented the wheel. I guess it has the little hologram that it projects in your hand, but like literally almost all of these capabilities, if you don't want to have a, a phone with you all the time, you could just have in your smartwatch, which is a very elegant and like mass produced device. Right. It does seem like a bit of a solved problem from that perspective. This is like a smartwatch without the band. You wear it on your shirt. A smartwatch that's easier to lose is just what I'm hearing. That's their tagline. I hope they can do better than that. (laughs) So Ryan, we were chatting a little bit earlier in the episode about kind of the contentious return to office. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a lot of discourse about it in the tech world. You see it all the time on Mm -hmm. Hacker News and even news articles about which company, you know, will or won't, you know, enforce these rules and to what degree. But you shared a piece that I thought was interesting in that it's not so much about whether or not people should return to office, but like 
what's tragic about being in an office? <laughs> it's funny to even talk about because like maybe most people from now on will not be in an office. I don't know. Maybe the, right. the, the generation that follows us will like not know, but there are things that are great about an office and there are also lots of terrible things, office politics and office foibles mm-hmm. and go watch office space and, you know, take, take it all in. It's a rich tableau. What is this piece specifically talking about? And is it coming from the perspective of developers? I think it is. I think so. But it's talking about, you know, remote isn't always the best, that there are benefits to being in the office, but just forcing people into the office in this sort of half measure where you're still, you're in the office, but you're still async is actually the worst way to work. A lot of people in, in when everybody went remote found the benefits of async working, right? I think we've talked about it. We found the benefits of that too, because you can get your things done when you want. But right. in an office, it's the worst, especially those open plan offices. Man, those were the worst things I ever worked in. I came out of my days there so mad. Just other people infringing on your space or their noise or their what? Yeah, it was just noise. Like I I never wished for a cubicle more than when I was right. in an open plan office. I do remember at the Stack Overflow office in New York, marketing folks sat in an open plan office with some rev ops and some other people. Developers each got their own little cubicle. You know, we needed mm-hmm. to, they were special and they needed their space and their <laughs> privacy and their quiet. So we were we were in the dungeon over there. We were down in the dungeon, exactly. But yeah, I mean this article also points out like, you know, in an async world and then being in an office, there's a lot of chance to like feel left out or like, mm-hmm. you know, to, to wonder about whether or not you're being included, or, you know, or whether you're stuck waiting on something and that person is little, literally right in the same office with you. Mm-hmm. So interesting to think about those points of friction. When you have uh, office and sync, they talk about this, uh, the extreme programming practices as a way to kind of start, get everybody mm-hmm. together and make sure like everybody is working directly together, right? Yeah. But, you know, remote and async is basically open source, right? And there are companies that have talked about, you know, inner source, which is the open source methodologies applied to working in closed source environment. I was just going to say the thing I liked about this was they had, you know, kind of these quadrant charts. When it's mm-hmm. time to do, to whiteboard, you could do it virtually, but whiteboarding, brainstorming, ideating, let's do it synchronously, right? And then... Mm-hmm okay, now we've each got things we need to deliver. Let's do it asynchronously and we've got tickets. And maybe an office or an in-person environment is useful once a week, two times a month, once a quarter. Uh, thinking about it that way is more useful than just like it has to be either remote or office. Like there is no there is no in-between. The interesting one for me um, besides these was the um, remote and sync, which I don't think anybody is really doing very well. I think for the the folks that do do it, it feels like monitoring. It's like always on Zoom. It's a lot of directly uh, working together on virtual whiteboards and such. Ira, have you worked in a in a office in person? Do you have preferences? Yeah, I have a I have a strong preference for working remotely. I think, like you, I was sort of scarred by working as a, a member of a marketing team <laughs> in an open floor plan office, like both at um, you know in house at tech companies and in agency environments. And even with the you know noise canceling headphones, I just find myself really easily distracted. And um, 
was just thinking about how back in like 2013, I had a job where we never, we never collaborated really in person at all. It was just everybody sort of async in their open floor plan office. And so after a few months, I was like, hey, can I work from home sometime? And my boss just acted like yeah. I had asked for something just beyond the pale, just totally ludicrous. You know, and yeah. now like I, I know the same company is entirely remote. It's just a completely different like landscape. You know, I think a lot of people have come over to seeing the benefits of having a little more flexibility and autonomy over their schedules. And it's it's a hard ask to just bring everybody back mm. without any level of, you know, meeting halfway or anything. What is it you think people who are demanding a full return to the office are searching for? I do think that there's like a certain kind of manager and leader who feels like I'm going to stay until 8 p.m. and see who stays. And like, I'm going to see, you know, who like is showing up early and I'm going to like sort of push those people and then elevate those people. And it's more difficult when, you know, you're remote to know who's doing that. And also, yeah, what were those people doing till 8 p.m.? Were they delivering projects or were they just like (laughs) silently, begrudgingly, like, (laughs) you know, sticking it out at the office so that they could be the last one to leave? I remember that happening a lot and just being like, I'm going home to my kids. Like, I don't know. This isn't for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You win. Yeah. The performativity of staying late. I feel like those are the kind of managers that, that measure productivity by lines of code. I feel like that's uh, negative management some, where you're you're sort of playing defense on your reports, right? They're, they're a cost drain. They're always trying to, you know, take advantage of you. So you have to be there to ride them and make sure that they're in the office all the time doing stuff. And it's it's a miserable way to work. All right. One last great little tech highlight. This comes from my days uh, working at The Verge as a drone reporter and then working at DJI. Folks are using low-cost drones, 3D printers, and private satellites to preserve historical artifacts. So sadly, in the world, there are conflicts. People drop bombs. It's not chill. We don't like it here at Stack Overflow. And sometimes it, it you know, also it has a big effect on you know, a society's history, its monuments, its landmarks. And what's interesting now is these sort of, not hobbyists, but volunteers with very low-tech and low-cost tools can go out and create these stunningly high-res preservations of these, you know, temples or statues or whatever they may be, flying the drones around them, using the satellites to map the sort of flight path that they'll take from the air, and then 3D printing both parts to do this. And I guess maybe also, you know, like the objects themselves, right? Like some simulacrum of what, of what they were trying to keep as part of their history. I think it's a a great use of the technology. I'm I'm happy to see good low cost 3d modeling tools. So I remember, you know, 10, 15 years ago, somebody thought they could do it with the Xbox connect, Mm -hmm. you know, model objects for that. And it did a little bit, but using the sort of generative AI that we have now with combined with the high res and all the advancements since 15 years, that'd be great to have an image of this beautiful ancient temple that was that was blown up for whatever reason. Yeah. And something that you could like share with people, you know, different geographic areas and sort of use as an educational tool. I could see it being fascinating. Like, I mean, even if we take things getting blown up out of the equation, you know, it's, it's a lot like more economical perhaps to like do a tour of, you know, some architectural 
features, you know, in another country, like in a virtual sense, you know, there might be like applications right. there that would be fascinating to me. At and least. it helps preserve the, the, the sites too. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Maybe people can pay for the virtual tour of the graveyard era. If you guys don't, if y'all don't know this listening, there, there you go. A, Thank you. A graveyard, <laughs> graveyard tour guide. And then my online donation for the virtual tour goes to support the real life <laughs> preservation, right? There you go. That's right. That's right. That's how I'm going to monetize it finally. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, I think the the actual result of this will be, you know, GTA Machu Picchu or whatever. Like, <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, you got to have this in Roblox. Virtual gun fights at the, uh, the Parthenon. <laughs> I thought you were going to say the OK Corral, but you really mixed it up there. And <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Everything I know about ancient history, I learned from civilization. There's no lies in Civ. The granary, the most important. (laughs) All right, everybody. It is that time of the show. Let's shout out somebody on Stack Overflow who came and shared some knowledge, helped some folks get unstuck. A lifeboat badge awarded to Flipper PA for helping somebody who was having an issue with the black formatter module in Visual Studio Code. It was doing the worst thing you could do replacing double quotes over single quotes unacceptable Mm. unacceptable styling but you can use skip string normalization to fix this and if you want to know more about it flipper pa has the answer and has helped over twelve thousand people so we appreciate it flipper and congrats on your lifeboat badge as always y'all thanks for listening i am ben popper director of content here at stack overflow find me at exit ben popper hit us up with questions or suggestions for the program podcast at stack overflow and if you like what you hear leave us a rating and a review because it helps. I'm Ryan Donovan. I edit the blog here at Stack Overflow. You can find it at stackoverflow.blog. And you can find me upon the X at Arthur Donovan. And my name is Ira May. And I am also on the content team, editorial team at Stack Overflow. And you can find me on most platforms at Ira Maybe. <laughs> <laughs>